This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. If you'd like to support the work we're doing, please visit the Contribute tab at bestofaleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Majority Report, The Young Turks, Counterspin, The David Pakman Show, and activism from Americans United for the Separation of Church and State. We got an email that I think was in response to a video that uh, Matt and Michael did last week. Someone was talking about the Sam Harris, Dan Carlin podcast. I listened to that podcast a couple of weeks ago. And it is the case, uh, it sounds to me from listening to it, that Sam Harris is just a neoconservative with a slightly different take. Not even that different, frankly, of, I guess, presumably why we need to be spreading our ideals to these countries and not just, I don't know, it's a little bit vague on how we're supposed to do this. I guess just by doing podcasts and arguing with Dan Carlin about it, or I'm not exactly sure. His agenda is a little bit cagey. He's trying to be, because I think he, he knows that I don't want to sound too much like Wolfowitz. I got to hold some back. But this guy writes, uh, apparently complains again about a straw man. And here's the thing. You know, Sam Harris hides behind uh, this notion of, like, I just think it's a bad idea. And I'm not even quite sure what it is that's a bad idea. I mean, when I listen to Dan Carlin, Sam Harris uh, made a point of saying, like, now, of course, not all Muslims <laughs> are interested in... Um, in extremism and violence. That's a pretty safe bet, because, I mean, if that was the case, um, I don't even know that we'd be able to do this show. I mean, <laughs> there are 1.6 billion, give or take a couple, Every time 10, a million you, or so. Every time you went into a, any number of stores in New York or got in a car or went yeah, to or a law firm. Yeah, or be in my home. Or be in your home. Yeah, right. I think so. So I think it's pretty safe to say. That's a fairly obvious statement to say. But then he breaks it down, if I recall correctly, into, well, there's a small group of extremists, but then there's a wider group of people who sort of vaguely support them in, in, and they do this by answering uh, a certain way in poll questions. Okay? And that is evidence of, I guess, in his mind, that Islam is bad, but not just bad, but dangerous. And not just dangerous, but necessary to stop in some magical way that I guess involves criticizing the Quran and then maybe having to involve weapons. <laughs> but, but it's not clear, you know. Did we just need to respond in some fashion to the idea of Islam? Because it, it, because you have, I guess, presumably not just the, um, the extremists who are willing to carry out violence, which is rather small, and I'll get to this point in a moment. But even the way that he expands it out is that there are people in polls who support it by answering a certain way. Now, I think it's a real problem that 40%, maybe more, of the people in this country believe that um, 
the earth was created in seven days and that dinosaurs and men lived simultaneously uh, and that evolution is bunk. I, I, I think that's a problem. I'm not prepared to uh, pick up weapons and I'm not prepared to say that the Bible is an incredibly destructive document that is actually getting its adherence, 40% of the country at least, to pursue an ideology that basically says we're not going to have uh, uh, climate change because God wouldn't uh, allow it, or if he did, he'd fix it. And I do mean he, right? The guy with the beard is going to fix it all. Basically, hurtling all of us into a slow-motion suicide uh, attack where most scientists say that we could lose billions with a B of lives over the course of the next 100, 150 years. Now, I could suggest that this is a problem with Christianity and we have to do everything in our power to fight the idea of Christianity so that we can save the planet from climate change. If we have an existential threat, it is that. That's the genuine existential threat. Now, I would also throw in here, I think, uh, fundamentalist Jews. Because they also, I think, uh, uh, believe in that um, creation story. Now, I could say that, or we could just say, like, well, all right, let's just leave that aside, because that's not a direct threat. That doesn't involve weapons. That doesn't involve uh, nuclear weapons or shooting people or terrorism. Answer me this. How many democratically elected leaders of their own country have Muslims assassinated? Well, I'm asking the question of no one, so no one can answer that. But I can answer it in terms of Jews. One. In fact, there is a one-to-one -one ratio between how many countries that are predominantly Jewish and have had a democratically elected leader assassinated by a Jew. You want to talk about extremism? I mean, look at the extremism we saw this weekend. What percentage of Jews are extremists? What percentage of them have committed terror attacks? If we're going to be this narrow definition of terrorism, it seems to me when you're talking about what now with 13 million, 12 million Jews, well, I did, I had the numbers around here somewhere. A hundred of them, 200 of them. How does that? How does that jibe with, let's say, 5,000 versus 1.6 billion? I mean, if we're going to do it during, uh, you know, as a measure of per capita, right? I mean, so all of this stuff, it's perfectly fine to criticize extremist religions or fanatics or violent extremists. And in some instances, 
I imagine it's uh, perfectly, depending on where you're situated, it's perfectly fine to fight them. But to try and make a rational argument that it is uh, a function of someone's Bible, I think is really, you really got to have a problem with a lot of different Bibles. And it's really not just the Bible. It's reading a book and assuming that that book is so true and your interpretation of it is so true that it leads you to kill people. Um, I mean, in many respects, that's uh, that's just, you know, a mental derangement of sorts that is not brought about by the words. There's no special words you read and you become mentally deranged. I mean, I think that happens in like Harry Potter or something. What's that? Harry Potter and the Muslim world. Right. Those two places. And, and I think it's time, and I'm ashamed of myself for not having the courage to sit here in air conditioning and say that before you. But somehow, yes, somehow, you still manage. Then the menace is survive. The menace is survive. It's your Crowdhammer was on Fox News talking about President Barack Obama's response to the shooting in Chattanooga. He's very upset that President Obama has not preemptively linked the shooter to extreme terrorism. Take a look. This is, in all probability, an example of radical Islam at work. But the general issue is radical Islam. And unless I mean, we have a president who immediately says, this is a lone gunman, how does he know? When you say lone gunman, what you're doing subtly or unsubtly is disconnecting the dots. When we had the underwear bomber trying to bring down a plane over Detroit, Obama immediately said that this was an isolated extremist. It wasn't, in fact. It turned out to be connected to al-Qaeda in the Arabian uh, Peninsula. So I think it's sort of the, the whole, the six and a half years of Obama always wanting to err on the side of downplaying the threat. The threat is radical Islam, which he won't say. Such horseshit. It's such. It, again, it does not understand the power dynamic. What? So what do you? What do you think happens when you say it? That magically, ISIS is. Oh, he said it. Now, you know what? Let's retreat. Also, <laughs> like, 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 oh my God! I can't believe he uttered our name. We like, gotta go. Like, what is the value to Charles Krautheimer of saying immediately something which you can't possibly know? What is the it's value? It's just the fear mongering that works really, really well on Fox News. There's no question about that. But also, when Obama said it that he was a lone gunman, I think he was just trying to let everyone know there was one shooter there. He wasn't trying to make a political point about whether this has anything to do with That's Muslim right. extremism. That's right. That's right. right. So they're taking the words of Obama and they're twisting it in a way that obviously plays to their ridiculous audience who's obsessed with fear-mongering. So let me add to that. A uh, local cop said it was a lone gunman. In other words, don't worry, don't, you don't have to panic. There's not two or three other guys running around Chattanooga shooting at people, right? Uh, second of all, when uh, this happened, within an hour, the FBI came in and called it domestic terrorism. When Dylan Roof happened, they still don't call it terrorism. The FBI refuses to call it terrorism. Now, Dylan Roof had a political manifesto, did it for political reasons, killed civilians. Why isn't it terrorism? 
Nope. Well, hey, Charles Krauthammer, why are you disconnecting the dots? Let me connect them for you. Dylan Roof, Scott Roeder, the guy who did the shooting at the Sikh Temple, the guy who did the shooting at the Jewish Museum, the guy who did the shooting at the Jewish Community Center in Kansas. They were all racist, bigoted, right-wingers, okay, who were based in hate groups in America, okay? So let's go bomb them. Oh, hey, why are you downplaying the threat that we are facing in America? Why are you disconnecting the dots? Why won't you take action to protect American citizens, Charles Krauthammer? Okay, why are you protecting the hate groups? Why are you protecting the anti-Semitic and the anti-black and, and, and all the racist groups out there? And, and then, uh, of course, or perhaps maybe we should do what Fox News does. Not even right-wing, not even hate groups, not even, just all white people. Because Krauthammer said, this is in all probability an example of Islam at work. That's a quote, okay? An example of Islam at work. Now, if I said Dylan Roof is an example of white people at work, what would happen? Everybody would go crazy, right? I mean, like, but Cenk, that's so unfair. How can you take one guy, or even all the guys you just listed, who did all the shootings fairly recently, all based in hate groups, right, and connect them to all white people? That's... To, 250 million Americans who are white? That's outrageous. So what they do is they take this guy who did the shooting here and a couple of others, uh, the Fort Hood shooting, etc. Same, actually less number of people. We've done that story before. There are less Muslim radical shooters in America than right-wing hate radicals that do. Take those people and then they go, well, it's Islam at work. They connected those guys to 1.6 billion people. So me connecting it to 250 million people is insane and outrageous. Them connecting a couple of guys to 1.6 billion people, they find perfectly normal. Right, and of course both are ridiculous. Of course they are. Of course Dylan Roof doesn't represent all white people. And of course the, the Muslim shooters here we've had in America don't represent all Muslims. And you fucking morons, that's not being an apologist for all Muslims. And that's certainly not being an apologist for the fucking shooter. We despise the shooter. I did a... 15-minute segment yesterday on how those somebody's going to have to go to the home of those Marines and tell them they tell their kids that their dad is dead. Okay, so the shooter is a piece of shit, right? As Dylan Roof is. Okay, but that doesn't mean that you get to blame 1.6 billion people and say it's Islam at work. If you do do that, and I got bad news for you. I'm not the one with the issue. You are. You're a fucking bigot. Okay, and when I say that, they get so angry because they are bigots because they do want to blame all Muslims. And they think 1.6 billion people. And then they'll say, last thing, they'll say, oh, I didn't say all Muslims. Most Muslims, right? I mean, yeah. I, I'll show you polls. I'll show you polls. Most Muslims. And they'll connect it to this guy. Most Muslims want to kill innocent people who did nothing to them? No, oh, no, but you're out of context. Uh, you're a Muslim apologist. So, well, if, I, if you're not attacking all Muslims, when I say, hey, it's not all 1.6 billion million people, why are you mad at me? Does he oh, it, it turns out you are attacking all Muslims. Does he? Do they? Do, does does Krauthammer and that gang want to return to those days after 9/11, when mosques were attacked, when Sikh men were hunted down and killed because Americans thought they were Muslims? You know, was that like? Is that the sort of hysteria that he'd like back? That would be somehow satiated by a president who would say, "Radical Islam is behind this," or better yet, "Islam is behind this." This is Islam at work. In the words of Krauthammer, what do they want? What's the? What is the value? What would make them feel good? What would satisfy that sort of thirst for blood that they have right now. Well, the problem with it, with this guy is he's supposed to be, you know, giving analysis, but it's it's just filling airtime because he's... Well, don't knock that. 
Well, <laughs> no, no, but I'm, but I'm saying, you know, in a, he's, but he's not analyzing. If he, if he'd said, listen, he, if he'd said, we don't know who, what, who's behind this right, yet, yeah. but my, my estimation is it is probably linked to, you know, if he said it like that, then you're sitting at home and still people might, people watching on Fox are probably still going to conclude that this guy is. Right, uh, but we wouldn't be airing this clip. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. But, but you know what I'm saying? But he's going straight up and going like, no, you know, Obama's wrong on the, the, the underwear bomber and he's wrong on this guy. Mm -hmm. And all Obama is saying is, yo, Let's let's do our investigation and figure out who this guy was. For all we know, this guy was in his early you know early twenties. You know he could he could have been bipolar. He could have been depressed. He could have been he could have psychological. Pro he did have psychological. For, right. If you take the gun and go kill these people, you got some level of psychological uh, uh, problems. I mean. Back in the old days, when there were journalistic ethics that were being followed on television or in print media, it would be considered highly unethical to jump to conclusions prior to having the information to the story. It's called speculation, right? And if you ever speculate about anything, you should be very clear that you're speculating. But in this case, he's just, he's already concluded that this is a Muslim extremist, right? Yeah, but I, you know, the thing is, I don't mind that. Like, if they just kept it at extremist or radical, yeah, I right. think they have an overwhelming chance of being right, right? Right. And, and I said the same thing yesterday on this show. So if you want to say Dylan Roof was a, was a you know, a, a right-wing radical, and you want to say, uh, Mohammed uh, Yusuf Abdulaziz is a Muslim radical. I totally agree with you. Totally. And it might be a And then they'll say, oh, hey, uh, why are you trying to uh, discount the factor of religion? But I'm not. So for James Holmes does the shooting for crazy reasons plus whatever was in his head, right? Uh, having nothing to do, we presume, with hate groups or religion, right? Mm -hmm. Dylan Roof does it because he's crazy plus he belongs to hate groups and hates black people. Uh, Abdulaziz does the shooting because he's crazy and he got it in his head of religion. Oh my God, I gotta go fight the infidels. Not based on his blog and what we know so far, right? So, okay, yes, you're right. They're all crazy and they all do, also they do it for some particular reason. But then to say, and this gets to Ben's point, but so, okay, nobody's denying that religion had a role in what he did, right? But so why are you so eager to connect it to their religion and then by association, blame the whole religion like there's a thirst to do that yeah. and so when you look into that thirst as to why you want to do that the reason is so we can all turn around here in the west and feel really great yeah. about bombing Muslims. that's right mm -hmm. that's right that the, it has a policy motive they might the people doing it might not even be aware of it right yeah. but the reality is then you get to say we have good intent but the you know when we're bombing them i mean we had to they're the muslims yeah. you know how the muslims are right mm -hmm. And so I, when we do the bombings, whether it's in Iraq, it's in Syria, it's in Yemen, it's in Gaza, wherever it might be, and that's, and can that, you really blame us? You know how they are. And that gets to the other point about that, that Fox makes all the time about where are the Muslims condemning this attack, even though CARE, the largest Muslim organization, civil rights organization in this country, condemned it within 19 seconds after it was over yesterday in unequivocal terms. But they want to be able to not just say, yeah, we're going to feel comfortable bombing Muslims, and then if you make the secondary point, we're going to kill a lot of innocent Muslims, you're like, okay, yeah, you're right, they're innocent, they didn't do it. But they harbor those people. They don't really take a stand against those people. Well, we need a boogeyman. And that's like after the Soviet Union fell, the Muslims became the boogeyman. And now, so every time something happens like this, they, they instantly go to this, uh, to this crazy uh, um, uh, conspiracy of the Muslims are coming to get us. They're coming with their Sharia laws. They don't, even, they don't even educate themselves on the difference between Shiite and Sunni. The Shiites and Sunnis are fighting each other, but they don't care. You know, it's, the Muslims are all uh, supporting terrorism. Let's go get them. Anytime there's an issue, as an Iranian-American, when the whole 
uh, um, deal was just done, the amount of people that were telling me how f afraid they are that Iran is now going to expand its terrorism because of the deal, and I was just, I, I, I had to, keep, I had to talk people down. I had to be like, relax, like just let's let's just relax for a second, breathe for a second. You know, there's other state sponsors of terrorism. There's a lot of other things going on. We do terroristic acts in some of these countries, so. We just we have such a one directional uh, uh, view going, and and such little knowledge of of the, the 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 nuances out there, and and we need the boogeyman, and that's the Muslims. So seriously, do elite media see themselves as taking the issue of terrorism that virtually any policy can get a respectful media hearing if it's sold as fighting it? That's why it's so critical how media appear to define the term terrorism and specifically whom they associate with it. Which brings us to the case of Robert Rankin Doggart, ordained Christian minister from Signal Mountain, Tennessee, who, according to his plea agreement, told an FBI informant of his plan to attack the residents of a Muslim community in upstate New York. Those guys have to be killed. Their buildings need to be burnt down, Doggart says on tape. The buildings he planned to destroy included a school, a mosque, and a cafeteria. The town of Islamburg, which Doggart called Target 3 and declared on Facebook was vulnerable from many approaches and must be utterly destroyed, was among the communities highlighted with a helpful map by Fox News' Bill O'Reilly as cities with radical Muslim organizations. So, a violent plot against innocent people with actual steps taken... Doggart recruited gunners and tested his M4 rifle, and featuring religion, inflammatory media, even social media. Yet it somehow wasn't a story. Outside of a few places like the online Chattanoogan, the Chattanooga Times Free Press, the Arizona Republic, and the Rock Hill, South Carolina Herald, and then a few online outlets like Think Progress and the Daily Beast. No New York Times, in other words. No Washington Post or USA Today or Nightly News. If that's changed by the time you hear this, it will still be big media's initial response that's significant and the evidence that they just don't fearmonger around cases of terrorism that don't fit the profile is still unavoidable. It isn't that we want more and more people to be labeled in media as terrorists, or as thugs for that matter. It's just that such terms have to be used consistently, if at all. Well, media's response might be related also to the fact that the FBI and U.S. Attorney's Office didn't hand reporters a press release on Doggart's case, as they have in some other cases. So maybe add a dollop of laziness on top of the bias, I guess.
As an anti-consumerism advocate, I would like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and get everything you can get used from a place like Craigslist. You will save yourself a boatload of money and reduce the endless flow of new stuff getting shipped across the world because that seems more convenient than meeting a neighbor. Failing that, try a locally owned small business. Failing that, if you're left with no choice other than to buy something from a place like Amazon, then at least there's a way you can do it and support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, or Amazon.co.uk from the banner at bestofleft.com and shop as you normally would. Better yet, click through on the link to your country's Amazon store only once and then bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whether that be rejecting consumption altogether, consuming sustainably, or at least consuming in a subversive way. Hey, we've talked about when we have prayer in a public setting. You can't discriminate between prayer for one religion or another when we're talking about government-sanctioned prayer, which we shouldn't have anyway. The Lincoln County Board of Commissioners always opened their government meetings with Christian prayer. And a couple of months ago, officials decided, you know, that's a little bit questionable legally. We have to let anyone who wants to participate in this prayer participate with whatever type of prayer suits them or corresponds with their faith. This didn't last very long, as Ross Story is reporting. Earlier this week, Commission Chairman Carol Mitchum, who previously announced that he wouldn't, quote, bow to minorities and that he, quote, ain't going to have no new religion or pray to Allah at board meetings, held completely true to his word and walked out on the first person to address the North Carolina government meeting with a Muslim prayer. Dustin Bardo of the Foothills Interfaith Assembly, <clears throat> who was leading the Muslim prayer, said, quote, that was very upsetting. It was upsetting. And by the end of the meeting, all prayer <clears throat> ended up being banned at board meetings and will be replaced with a moment of silence. Commissioner Alex Patton initiated the motion, which was easily voted into effect. Doesn't a moment of silence make a lot more sense? And I'll, I'll tell you two reasons why. Number one, uh, a moment of silence is not an establishment of religion in any way by the government. And religion should be separate from the government and from government meetings. But number two, it avoids anybody being offended by the place of some other religion in the meeting. Anybody can, in their mind, pray to whoever their God is, and nobody knows. And it just makes everything much more smooth. And this issue of prayer at government meetings is really starting to take on a, a sort of delusional, paranoid vibes. Previously, Mitchum vowed to keep Christian-only prayer at meetings. So proactively saying, we just are going to have, we're going to have prayer, but it's going to be just one type of prayer. Saying, quote, I don't believe we need to be bowing to the minorities. The U.S. and the Constitution were founded on Christianity. This is what the majority of people believe in, and it's what I'm standing up for. Carol Mitchum is clearly proof 
that evolution can go in reverse. I, I don't think that with Carol Mitchum, the elevator goes to the top floor, if you know what I mean. Why do we even need prayer at meetings? Right? Pray at home, pray with your family, pray at your church with other people who share your faith. At the meeting, just get down to business. We want religious freedom, and we hear from these individuals on the right that they want religious freedom, but it always ends up being for their religion only. And if we can just get rid of prayer at public government meetings, which we shouldn't have anyway, explain to me why we have prayer at a public government meeting, then you can resolve this problem. I'm against prayer in these government meetings, but if we're going to be able to handle Christian prayers at such a meeting, then we need to be able to handle Muslim prayers or Jewish prayers or an atheistic invocation of some kind or whatever. It needs to all be okay. People like Mitchum are the epitome of the religious freedom hypocrites that we've been covering on this show year after year. And this guy publicly showing himself to be the hypocrite that we know him, we know him to be. Hey, people. Hey, people. There's a book you really ought to read sometime. God wrote it, and I quote it. a 14-year-old student in Irving, Texas, was arrested after he showed up to school and provided a clock that he created to his science teachers. The science teachers assumed that this was a bomb or could be a bomb and called authorities and he was promptly arrested. This is Ahmed Mohammed. It's no surprise that he is a 14-year-old Muslim student who got arrested for doing absolutely nothing wrong. But apparently uh, the clock was something that frightened science teachers who should probably know the difference between a clock and a bomb and so they called the authorities and he was arrested. Now the charges have since been dropped because authorities found that there were there was no intention of him building a bomb. What he built was not a bomb and as a result he was not a threat whatsoever. However, the mayor of the town of Irving, Texas has released a statement and she is not apologizing for what happened whatsoever. She says, I do not fault the school or the police for looking into what they saw as a potential threat. They have procedures to run when a possible threat or criminal act is discovered. They follow these procedures in the sole interest of protecting our children and school personnel. To the best of my knowledge, they followed protocol for investigating whether this was an attempt to bring a hoax bomb to a school campus. Following this investigation, Irving PD has stated no charges will be filed against the student. I hope this incident does not serve as a deterrent against our policy and school personnel for maintaining the safety and security of our schools. She also went so far as to say, as a parent, I agree that if this happened to my child, I would be very upset. But then my child isn't a Muslim, so <laughs> she added. It is my sincere desire that Irving ISD students are encouraged to use their creativity, develop innovations, and explore their interests in a manner that fosters higher learning. Hopefully, we can all learn from this week's events, and the student who has obvious gifts will not feel at all discouraged from pursuing his talent in electronics and engineering. No, I mean, the fact that we made assumptions about him based on his ethnicity and his religion 
Uh, I don't know why that would encourage, discourage him. I mean, I'm sure he's going to want to build something else and bring it to school because maybe he can get arrested again. I mean, nowhere in her statement did she apologize for a goddamn thing. She said our police and our school officials did the right thing. They took the right precautions. I mean, if you've got a Muslim in the building, watch out. You've got to take precautions, right? And that last paragraph that Anna read you was only after significant criticism did she say she didn't apologize for any of the actions. She just said, if it was my kid, well, then, of course, I'd be pissed. But it wasn't my kid, was it? It wasn't a white kid at all, so I don't really care. Now, you think, wait a minute now, she's just taking precautions in this case, and I'll get to that in a second as to what they should have done. Uh, but maybe we're making assumptions about her just based on this one statement. No, no, no. She has a history. She does. And she's been... Uh, riling up anti-Muslim fervor in that particular town. So it's not like she's not connected to this. She's uh, part and parcel of the reason why they arrested the poor kid in the first place. Yes, so uh, there seems to be an issue of Islamophobia in this area of Texas. And uh, according to Raw Story, the mayor, Beth Van Doon, pushed elected officials to back a state bill banning Sharia law after reading reports about an Islamic tribunal set up in her own town to settle personal and business disputes between Muslims based on religious principles. Now, some of you might think, oh, tribunal, that sounds kind of scary. What does that mean? Well, it turns out there's a number of different religions who have similar things set up in order to deal with certain disputes among those in the community. So according to uh, Tahir al-Badwai, a tribunal judge, he explained that the Islamic court was entirely voluntary and would not oversee criminal cases, child support, custody issues, or the transfer of assets, but would instead settle divorces, workplace disputes, and small claims. It's a non-binding tribunal that acts as essentially a mediator or arbiter of minor disputes to keep them out of court. And Christians and Jews have long operated similar religious courts. But according to this mayor, it's unacceptable if it involves Muslims. All right, so let's understand a bunch of things. Uh, uh, first of all, I'm not in favor of any of the religious tribunals. That's because I'm not religious. I'm agnostic. And I, we have, we built a whole government uh, centered around the idea of settling disputes. I would take it to the government. I take it to the regular courts. But this is voluntary stuff. So if two Jewish people want to go and settle a small claim or their marital issues with a rabbi, I'm not going to get in their business. Okay. That's what they have voluntarily decided to do. If two good Christians want to do that at church with their, Priests, great. If two uh, religious Muslims want to do that at a mosque, it's over a small claims thing and it doesn't bother anybody else. I don't love it, but that's their issue. That's not my issue. What am I going to get involved in their lives from? I'm going to bust into their temple, into their church, into their mosque and be like, no, you follow my rules, right? Okay, now, if they were interfering with anything else, including state business, that would be a different matter. Very different matter, right? But they're not. They're voluntarily agreed to go in front of an arbiter, basically, mm -hmm. right? And it happens to be a religious arbiter. But I'm not from that community, so I'm not going to judge them as long as it doesn't upset anything else in the government. But that's not uh, the mayor's intention anyway. The mayor's intention is, like when she says, Sharia law, it's coming. Well, she cares about the small claims, whether one guy took 50 bucks from another guy or what happened inside somebody's marriage. Mm -hmm. She doesn't care about that. She wants to scare the living crap out of her residents and then pretend to be their defender and protector. Well, she did accomplish one of those things. She scared people enough. So when a 14-year-old kid, if you notice, wearing a NASA T-shirt, comes in with a science project, they all flip out and they go, oh, my God. Now, so let's settle two important things here. America didn't used to be like this. The fear-mongering has had an enormous effect. How do I know? I know because I grew up in a family that was Muslim. 
Now, I had renounced that. I am against religion. I'm agnostic. Uh, and yes, we Turks are more secular. I was never a deeply religious person. But did everybody in my school know that I was Turkish? And, and did all my teachers know that? Did they know that I came from a Muslim background? Yes, they knew that. Mrs. Rosenberg would have never done this to me. Mr. Papowski wouldn't have done it. Dr. Kimmel wouldn't have done it. None of the teachers that I grew up with would have done this to me. Okay? They, when I brought in a science project, they would have been proud of me, right? They wouldn't have done this. Look at what they did to this kid, right? And now, look, there's a huge upside to this in, that we're going to get to in a second, that the great response back, right? But if that response had not happened, okay, that kid would have, you know, if we hadn't gotten the spotlight on it as, as it happened, he would have thought, oh, no, that's it. I'm not going to do anything anymore, and I'm the enemy. They, they handcuffed that kid. They handcuffed him and walked him out. So I, I just want to put up um, the picture in the first graphic, and I don't know exactly what it is, but looking at that picture of him in handcuffs and just the look on his face, I don't. it made me really emotional, right? And as someone who does news, you're not supposed to admit when you're emotional about a story. I don't care. It made me emotional because that picture represents a loss of innocence for this kid, right? I think a realization of what this country has turned into, and it's a really, really terrible thing, and hopefully the supportive response that he's gotten after this picture was taken doesn't deter him from pursuing whatever he wants to pursue, whether it's science, you know, engineering, whatever. But you look at that picture, and he's a victim of the fear-mongering that you're talking about right now, Cenk. Like, the, the same atheists who spend all their time debating about which religion is the worst, and then coming to the conclusion that Muslims are the most violent, and they should be the most feared, and we should put all of our attention on them. Okay, that's the kind of fear-mongering that leads to an innocent 14-year-old being arrested for doing a science project. Now, Anna, not all Muslims, not all Muslims, they sound like Donald Trump, right? It's just some Muslims, so watch out for the Muslims. Don't watch out for other people. Watch out for the Muslims. I didn't say all Muslims. Oh, you interpreted as a 14-year-old kid with a NASA t-shirt on. Oh, I could have never seen that coming. Okay, now, this one sentence by one of the officers involved, it tells you exactly what the problem is. The kid walks into the principal's office, and the officer says, quote, Yep, that's who I thought it was. Okay. How would you, why would you think it was him? You think it was him. Now, and if, let's now, let's keep it real. If it's Bobby from down the street, you think they're going to say, hey, Bobby, we think you're a terrorist and you built a bomb? You say, hey, Bobby, what is this? Mm. That's, this is how it's going to be resolved if it's Bobby from down the street. You hey, ask Bobby, some questions. Hey, what is it? Oh, it's a clock. Well, that's interesting. How does it work, Bobby? It's Ahmed Mohammed calling the cops. So now, to, of course, there's going to be the doubters and the conservatives and whoever else, right? We're going to say, well, there was a lot of wires, man. You don't know. It could have been dangerous. A lot of dangerous things happen in schools. Okay. Now, first of all, if you're a science teacher, that's your job to figure out if it's a clock or a bomb. Okay, all right, all right, forget it. You say, oh, no, I don't want to figure it out. I don't want to figure it out. I don't want to touch it. Okay, all right. Why don't you be a human being for a second and say, all right, now let's put this somewhere safe, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah, okay, we want to be super cautious because we want to protect all the kids, including Ahmed Mohammed. <laughs> you want to use those excuses? Fine. Put it somewhere safe, have somebody come and look at it, and have the 14-year-old kid sit in the principal's office. Yeah, it's a little, like, you know what, afterwards I'd apologize to him if I was a principal. I said, but I mean, I had to check it out. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of concern. We want to make sure we care about safety. Sorry about that. And great project. Sorry that we had to check it out. But we had to check it out out of an abundance of caution. You don't handcuff the kid and arrest them when you don't even know what it is. Exactly.
They handcuffed him and walked him out of there in front of the whole school and arrested him. They had no idea what it was. They had already made the assumption, yep, that's the one I thought it was, right? That's the Ahmed Muhammad that needs to be in prison, right? So you tell me there are no assumptions, you're mental if you say that. You can't possibly believe that. Now, having said all that, the reaction afterwards, I think, was wonderful. Yes. The science community, uh, and definitely not just Muslims. In fact, I didn't see any Muslims in the reaction. Christians, Jews, agnostics, atheists, everybody from across the country pouring in with hashtag I stand with Ahmed. And, and offering jobs, offering internships, offering tours of NASA, mm -hmm. and then obviously the president. Yes. Uh, so let's go to Graphic 21. Uh, the president tweeted about this, and of course he got some criticism from conservatives who of love course. being Muslim-hating bigots. But President Obama said, cool clock, Ahmed. Want to bring it to the White House? We should inspire more kids like you to like science. It's what makes America great. So I, I love the president did that. Now, of course, the Trumps of the world will use that and say, see, we told you he was Muslim. Right. Uh, yeah, he's inviting Ahmed Mohammed with all his wires and circuits into the White House, we told you, right? So, and those are the guys who are doing the fear-mongering, and that's what's driving this problem in the first place. But, I mean, as I saw tweet after tweet, and whether it was there, 400,000 tweets or 40,000, some you know, enormous amount, right, yeah. of tweets with I stand with Mohammed and people taking a picture of themselves with a clock mm -hmm. and people saying, hey, uh, don't let this discourage you. We're here to stand behind you, and, and, and we got your back. That's the America that I love. Right. That's the reason why I became an American citizen. That's what we came to this country for. It's still here. And I love that people roared back and said, that's the America we believe in, too. But now we are in a conflict. Mm -hmm. It's not the only America. And these two Americas are unfortunately right now warring with one another. The guys who are the bigots and the fear mongers and spread the hatred and the assumptions and the stereotypes and the discrimination and the ones who fight back. Yeah, it's good to know that that previous America still exists. And that's the silver lining to the story, knowing that there are those who are still open-minded, who don't draw conclusions about an entire community of people based on what extremists do. I think that that at least lets me know that there's still some sanity left in the country. I mean, look, I just so random Twitter handles here. Karen James, Doug Allison, these are all the good guys. Claire LeCron, Neil Dash, uh, Emily Lakdawalla, Silva. And it goes on and on, Molly Peoples, all these guys, and a lot of people in the STEM community, science community, saying we got your back because they stand for reason and logic. We all got to unite, and we got we to gotta be there for each other, okay? It, it, enough of the fear-mongering, okay? Enough of the discrimination. This is the most ironic thing there is. But I remember when America was better than this. So we should make America great again. And by that I mean stand for the principles for which it's founded, right, and for which we all love and, and want to fight for. And that's why we, some of us came to this country, some of us are incredibly proud of being born in this country, and we got to unite and bring that idea of the shining city on a hill that actually stands for liberty, equality, and justice. we got to bring that back.
Bill Maher had the most disgusting response to Ahmed. This is Ahmed Mohammed. Um, the, I, I, I am completely befuddled by how moronic. I don't think I've ever said, and somebody on Twitter was like, oh, you're knocking all atheists. Like, what? What are you talking about? I mean, I, I don't know that I am an atheist per se, but certainly in the neighborhood of agnostic. Um, all I've done is criticize specific writings by Sam Harris. The words Richard Dawkins have never come out of my mouth except for maybe to talk about that guy on uh, Hogan's Heroes. Is that what's his name, Richard Dawkins, the British uh, actor? He, he, he hosted uh, Family Feud? I don't know, dude. Is that? The, I don't Google, know. Google I don't know, dude. Dawkins, Family Feud, please. That's the only time I've ever, I've never read anything uh, by him. Dawson, Richard Dawson. Dawson, okay. So there you have it. So I know nothing about Richard Dawkins. I've never criticized him. Well, today's, today's the first day I'm going to. Uh, Richard Dawkins, I guess, in relying uh, to a request from somebody who had asked him, really Richard Dawkins, I don't know if this was uh, spurred by uh, Dawkins uh, saying something about Ahmed. What do you think Ahmed's motives were? And he writes, I don't know, possibly wanted to be arrested, question mark? Police played into his hands, question mark? Anyway, now invited to White House, crowdfunded, etc. I'll tell you something. If this kid had a plan that I'm going to bring in a homemade clock to my engineer teacher so that I can get into his or her good graces like I did in the robot club in middle school and also trick the police into thinking I'm coming in with a mock bomb that I don't call a mock bomb that they clearly know is not a bomb because they never even bothered to evacuate the school. And then what will happen is I will get advocacy groups to complain that these four cops or five cops interrogated me for two hours without my parents and I get suspended for three days and then boom, I will get invited to the White House and boom, guaranteed a scholarship to college. Now, I, I don't know if this scholarship uh, has come, but this is part of his plan, right? This 14-year-old. So devious. He specifically also said boom as like a pun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right. Boom. <laughs> Look, I even made a joke as I'm plotting all this. He's like, Mom, Mom, calm down. Look, no, 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 Rook, calm down. Then the president's going to tweet at me. Then there's going to be a crowdfunding right. thing. Okay, yeah, it's going to be stressful for a couple of hours. If this kid was capable of planning this out, let me tell you something. Uh, he, <laughs> there's nothing that he will get that he doesn't deserve. He needs to be in charge of the war on terror. Exactly. <laughs> this kid is a global exactly. mastermind. He shouldn't just be invited to the White House. <laughs> Would you like to command the drone war, exactly. son? <laughs> you are czar of everything. 
unbelievable. The insanity. The insanity. I could have us a 10% growth while cutting uh, carbon emissions if you would just get out of my friggin' I'm way. I'm not going to watch the Bill Maher thing or whatever. I have no idea what he said. Um, I, it sound, I, I undoubtedly, if you say anything other than, hey, this is a damn shame, we need to be uh, a little bit more rational in our approach here and not, I mean, look, Again, I remind you, I said this last week. If they thought it was a bomb, then every single one of those people associated in a position of authority at that school should be fired for reacting so stupidly to the idea that they have a bomb in their school. I mean, give me a break. They knew it wasn't a bomb. The guy said it's a clock. What's the problem here? Richard Dawkins was also whining about how the kid was a liar and how he didn't invent anything. All he did was take one clock, took out the innards, and put it in that briefcase thing, which is hilarious because this is a like an adult, well-respected evolutionary biologist whining and stamping his feet. Well, at a 14 you know what? Kid. You know what? <laughs> that to me, that seems legitimate, particularly because uh, Dawkins has a uh, nephew he's concerned might lose in the science fair to this guy. Today is the science fair. Today is the science fair. Oh, they're coming by the hordes with their presentation boards. Today is the science fair. All the students in the first, second, and third grade. You've reached the activism portion of today's show. Now that you're informed and angry, here's what you can do about it. Today's activism, protect thy neighbor. Americans united for separation of church and state don't just run around telling people to take in God we trust off of our money and waging a war on Christmas. The majority of their work actually focuses on protecting the 80% or so of people who believe in one higher power or another. Keeping church separate from state fosters acceptance and prevents persecution. The Protect Thy Neighbor campaign was launched in response to increasing legislation and legal cases using religion to discriminate and deny people their rights. From protectthyneighbor.org, quote, We are expanding our work in the state legislatures, Congress, and the courts so that no one is allowed to use religion as an excuse to refuse you service, deny you health care, or threaten your safety. We are protecting our neighbors, unquote. They've put together legislative and legal teams, field and faith organizers to help do community organizing training, and a new communications department where you can opt in to receiving alerts tailored to your zip code. At protectthyneighbor.org, you can add your name to their pledge to stand up to those who harm others in the name of religion, get legal help, and contact your legislator directly about state and national issues. You can also download a Protect Thy Neighbor shield to sign, finish the sentence, quote, I want to protect my neighbor because 
and then post it to their Tumblr and social media. They even have suggestions for folks who are unsure of what to write. With people like Richard Dawkins and Bill Maher out there making those who advocate for the separation of church and state look like intransigent jerks, now is the perfect time to get involved with a positive campaign like Protect Thy Neighbor. The segment notes include all of the links to this information as well as additional resources. And as always, this and every activism segment we produce is archived and organized under the Activism tab at bestoftheleft.com. If true religious freedom matters to you, be sure to hit the share buttons to spread the word about Protect Thy Neighbor via social media so that others in your network can get involved. Can you stand up and be counted as a body in a crowd? Put your name on a petition with your signature so proud. Can you raise your voice so loud as you stand with head on bowed, weather beating on your brow, demanding answers here and now? Because that's how we make a difference in this fickle world of change. Unfortunately, there was another horrific bombing in Turkey this time around by what is suspected to be an Islamic State suicide bomber. Uh, killed at least 28 people uh, near the Syrian border town of Suruç or inside that town. Some horrific pictures from that. Uh, 28 at least dead. Uh, and there were Kurds, there was Turks there, uh, but they were all Muslims. The attacker appears to be Muslim and the victims appear to be Muslim. Now there are some uh, in this country, in the United States, that love to blame Muslims uh, for a lot of what goes wrong. And they believe that Muslims are more guilty of committing terrorist acts than others. Now, that's factually incorrect inside the United States. There are more right-wing terrorists than, than Muslim terrorists here, and they do more attacks and kill more people. Uh, but uh, any time a Muslim does an attack, they love to say, you got to connect the dots, as Charles Krauthammer recently said on Fox News. Well, which Muslims is my question? The one that did the bombing in this case, or the Muslims who died in the bombing? All 28 victims were Muslims, whether they were Kurdish or Turkish. In fact, they'd united there to go help the town Kobani, which is on the other side of the border. They were going to go in from Turkey. They were, some Kurds and Turks were going to work together to rebuild that town. Here was their purpose. The group, the Federation of Socialist Youth Associations, had been planning a trip to Kobani to build a library plant a forest, and build a playground in the town. So in your effort to want to assign blame, when you say it was the Muslims who did the bombing, you're also blaming the victims, the families of those victims, these their lovely kids, their wonderful kids who were students there who wanted to go help build parks and libraries. They all get smeared in the process. Now, every once in a while, they love to put in caveats of, well, we didn't say all Muslims, and they feign interest in protecting Muslims. Oh, it's those same Muslims that we'd like to protect. But nonetheless, you hear the drumbeat throughout Muslims, 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 Muslims. You have to connect the dots. You have to connect the dots. You have to take action against the Muslims. But which ones? Which ones? The innocent ones that get killed, their family members, all the people in that town that didn't do the bombing? There was only one person who did the bombing. Look, this, I don't often agree with uh, Tayyip Erdogan, who's the president of Turkey. In this rare case, I do. He said, terror has no religion, no country, no race. I don't know if the bomber in that case was Kurdish, Sunni, if it's Islamic State, not likely to be Shia. But I do know one unifying factor in all the bombings, whether it's international or in the U.S. Fundamentalism. You don't get peaceniks who do bombings, okay? You, you do get 
rabid Christians who kill abortion doctors, who do abortion bombings. You get rabid Jews who are attacking uh, churches in the in in the area of Israel. Okay, that happens. You get radical Muslims who attack ancient religious sites in the same way that the radical Jews did. And, and oftentimes worse. You get radical Muslims? Of course you get radical Muslims. We're not blind. We see it every day. But what unifies them is not that they're Muslim. What unifies them is that they are radicals and that they are fundamentalists. There was a banner behind the kids who got killed in this bombing. It said, about Kobani, we defended it together and we will rebuild it together. And that was referencing the Turks and the Kurds that did that. You have to be so short-sighted and so blinded by your preconceived notions and sometimes hatred to say that all the Muslims in that area, or most of the Muslims in that area, or most of the Muslim 1.6 billion Muslims in the world are responsible. The reality is, whether it's the Tamil Tigers, whether it was the the Buddhists now that are attacking Muslims in Southeast Asia, whether it's a lot of the Muslim bombings that go on now because of the geopolitical situations. Yes, Islam has some role in those bombings because they cite the Quran, right? Yes, Buddhism, believe it or not, has some role as the monks, the Buddhist monks, go and commit acts of violence and kill Muslims in Southeast Asia. But what that does not unite them. What unites them is their fundamentalism. So please, for God's sake, or for any rational human being's sake, understand what the core of the real problem is. It's the fundamentalism, stupid. Hey, Jay, it's Wade again. You know, I wanted to, I know you haven't done a show on this, but I kind of wanted to call in and give you my comments and my thoughts on um, on this religious freedom idea that, that that's a pretty hot topic right now with what's going on in Kentucky and and earlier this year with the, with the Hobby Lobby decision. And for the people that cheer the Hobby Lobby decision or this county clerk in Kentucky, who just, full disclaimer, I totally believe she should issue the damn licenses as a government official, but... That's neither here nor there. If you cheer these these people in, in that particular decision, I always wonder, you know, do these people realize the door that they're opening when things like this succeed? Like if Hobby Lobby succeeded, she did not succeed in this, but I'm sure there'll be another challenge. When you open that door to my religion tells me and therefore this should be law or I should be exempted from this, some Muslim is going to take advantage of that. And then I wonder if those same people that cheered Hobby Lobby will be cheering when a Muslim-run company tells all their female employees that their uniform is a is a is a burqa, for instance. I know that may be a bit extreme, but you know it, it could happen, right? Religious freedom and all that. We gotta we you, want, you can't just open the door to Christian belief. You have once you open that door to religious freedom, you open it up to all religions. To include Muslims, Buddhists, Hindu, Satanists, 
all those get to play in the same park now. And so it would be a much simpler and better for everybody idea if we just have a law of the land and what you do on your own time is your own time. That just seems to me what would be the entire purpose of the Constitution in itself. That that seems to be one of the main facets of the Constitution is that you can't impose your religion on other people. The, the, the people that wrote, the men that wrote the Constitution, in that time, religious persecution was a very real, very visceral experience for most of them. I think that's why they were so explicit in that. And we need to keep that, that tradition going. And, and maybe we're kind of, you know, dulled a little bit, kind of relaxed into a, a false sense of security to think that, that religious fanaticism, at least on the Christian side, is dead. I don't believe it's dead. Uh, if it is, it'll be reborn if, if these things continue to happen like this. Um, you don't have to be a fan of gay marriage to, to not stand in its way. Okay? I'm not a, a gay marriage um, uh, advocate, but I don't stand in its way either. It, it doesn't affect my life, therefore why should I spend any energy on it? Okay? But the main point I wanted to make again was just, that's how we should fight it. You know, like, don't look at it as Christian persecution. Look at it as you're shutting the door to, to the people that you're not going to like doing it, i.e. the Muslims. And they will eventually, if you open that door. And I just wonder if, if the people that support it have ever thought of that. Anyway, Jay, that was all I had. Have a good one, man. Hi, Jay. I'm calling in response to your call for stories of advice successfully given. Well, Jay, if anyone ever thinks they have given successful advice, they either don't know the end result of the advice or they gave advice that the person already knew was true and wanted to follow even before hearing the advice. Telling someone what they should do and giving them a list of whys only creates resistance. People change when what matters most to them is affected. You already alluded to this when you said that someone who cares about saving money but not about saving the environment might bike to work because it saves them money, not because it's better for the environment. The key to helping people change is to have them, in their own voice, tell you what matters most to them, what they want to change, why they want to change, and how they're going to do it. The first step to changing any behavior is to identify and connect with a person's core values. These values represent those deep, important aspects of life which hold the most meaning, provide the most fulfillment, and are most valued by that person. In my experience as a coach, most people hold the same core values. The top two values usually have to do with their closest loving relationships, including family and friends, and their health. The third top value is usually financial security. This value is tied closely to the other two though financial security is important because it gives them the resources to take care of their loved ones have time to spend with their loved ones and to take care of their health the simpler life that you've been talking about on your show has the natural result of creating a stronger connection to loved ones and a healthier lifestyle for self Walking more, buying less, driving less, cooking at home, supporting local small businesses, all of these things create connection to family, community, self, and the environment. So if someone cares most about nurturing relationships with their family, ensuring family safety, and taking care of their health, it's easy to talk to them about living a simpler, more environmentally and socially sustainable life. Here's an example of a conversation I might have with someone. Your family is very important to you. Yeah, really, they're most important. How do you feel about your relationships right now? We're close. We love each other, but we just don't spend much time together. You wish you had more time with them. 
Well, uh, we do actually spend a fair amount of time together, but it's, it's always in the car, rushing from here to there, or trying to get too much done with too little time. It's really stressful. That sounds stressful. Share with me a time when you've experienced a more relaxed and connected time with your family. Well, I remember growing up, we had Sunday evening family dinners. It was a big deal. Us kids helped prepare the dinner, either by setting the table, helping with cooking, whatever. We sat together and took the time to eat leisurely. We cleaned up together. It was a nice time. Sometimes, as a kid, I resented to be forced to take that time. But looking back, I think it was good for us, and I did enjoy it. I, I think we're all closer now because of that time together. That sounds really nice. It sounds like you all prioritize that time and work together to create a valuable experience. Yeah, it was a great time to talk about how the week had gone, what was coming up next week, and just about anything that was on our minds. What difference would it make for you now if you and your family took time to do something like that? I could really see it bringing us together and giving us at least one time during the week when we wouldn't be distracted, when we could relax and focus on each other. I remember when I was a kid, a lot of times we'd go out and play basketball or something after dinner too, and it brought us together and gave us the space to relax and enjoy each other. That sounds great, but it would be really hard for you to do that now. You have so many things to do, and you're already stressed trying to get it all done. Yeah, but you know what? I know we could do it. It's important. It's more important than so many things that we spend our time doing. We just have to set it aside and make it a priority. You sound confident. What makes this so important to you? I don't want life to just slip by in a flurry of going here and there and getting this and that done. My family is what matters. Being close, loving them, sharing with them. I think it would be good for all of us to simplify a little and make time for us. It might even help us figure out how to slow down during the week and spend more quality time together all week long. That could make a big difference for you. Yeah, it's totally doable. A family dinner on Sunday evening. I'm gonna do it. So you can see that this person talked themselves into a lifestyle change, which involves slowing down, cooking at home, getting focused on relationships rather than the accumulation of stuff. No one told them what to do; they did it themselves. You can use these techniques in any conversation. First, establish clear, meaningful values. Many po- people don't even think about what matters most to them unless they're prompted. It's important to bring that into conscious awareness. Next, discover the areas where that person's life is not in alignment with their values. Third, listen and explore the misalignment and talk about what the intrinsic rewards of a change could be. Fourth, let the other person tell you how to make those changes. We know that living sustainably, avoiding materialism, and concentrating on relationships rather than accumulation of stuff creates a more fulfilling life. Knowing that most people long to be safe, to be loved, and to have their love received, it's easy to guide people into exploring how a simpler and more, envi- more environmentally and socially sustainable lifestyle will support their relationships with loved ones, their personal health and well-being, and even their financial security. Ultimately, you can't change anyone. People have to decide to change on their own. What you can do is take the changes we all need to make in order to live in a more sustainable world and tie those to what ma- matters most to that person. Doing so, they may decide on their own with your guidance to live in a lifestyle which is not only better for themselves but also more sustainable in this world. Thanks, Jay, for listening. Thanks for all you do. Keep up the good work. 
Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make this show possible. Thanks to Katie Klebusik for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, you can either record a message on the voice memo app of your phone and email it to me, j at bestofleft.com, or leave a voicemail at 202-999-3991. Now, today I have a little bit to add to the conversation of the interesting complications that come along with the concept of giving advice. And what I've realized is that there is a very strong and interesting connection between one's ability to uh, give advice and have that advice sort of considered uh, w- without you know the other person taking offense or anything like that, and the the sort of distance between the advice giver and the advice receiver. So the biggest, broadest example, like I do this show and presumably you listen to this show. And one could argue that everything that's in this show is is sort of advice. It's like my advice is you should agree with what's being said here. And so we're like, people should be treated the same no matter what uh, race they are or gender they are or what sexual orientation they have or gender identity. And like we say all things like that. And the underlying message is our advice is that you agree with that. And no one's like writing in saying like, I know already, you know, why don't you go tell someone who needs to hear it, right? Because there's this huge distance between, uh, you know, a show producer and a show listener. And so, so like that's, that's the big perspective. But I was in touch with sort of like an acquaintance over this past weekend. And uh, this acquaintance, I, I had heard them express not that they were having financial troubles, not not that they were like you know, in dire straits or anything like that. But, you know, that sort of general, like, having trouble getting ahead, right? Just that that sort of, like, I'm sort of on this hamster wheel, like, I'm doing what I have to do, and, you know, reaching my long-term goals seem really, really far away. And I thought to myself, oh, great, like, I have some advice that fits this problem perfectly. So I was in touch with this person by email, and because they're just an acquaintance, and I actually don't know any of the details of their finances, I thought, that's actually a bonus. Because there's this distance, I can give some advice and probably have that advice uh, you know, listened to and, and you know, not cause offense to the other person. Because imagine, you know, imagine the case were different and that I knew a lot of the details about, you know, that person's uh, financial situation. Well, then when you start giving advice, there's this sort of underlying tone of like, I know what you're doing and I recommend you do something else. So there's this feeling of judgment where if you don't have that information, then that judgment is removed because you you don't know. So you have this sort of barrier of protection. You know, you're you're on a need to know basis, and you don't know, so you can't possibly you know offend someone because you don't know that information. So uh, you know, so I, I gave some advice, and it seemed to be received well. But uh, it, it was interesting that in that moment, that was when I realized, oh wait a second. Specifically, because I don't know very much about the situation, I'm more able to give advice on it than if I knew more details. And, you know, you may be thinking that it's still rude to give unsolicited advice, and you may be right, but I'll I'll just say that, you know, I did my best to keep it tactful, and it seemed to be, you know, received well, so... 
take that for what it's worth. But overall, I just, I just, uh, I, I not only found it interesting, but it's another one of those things where like, I just love sort of the complicated nature of things and, and, and figuring that out was fascinating that for some reason, the less you know a person, the more you can give advice. I mean, I'm sure that explains why people go to, you know, therapists rather than just talking with their friends about their problems. Uh, I'm sure I'm going over a well-trodden ground with my, with my breakthrough here. This is probably not news at all to people who know about these sorts of things. In any case, if you have thoughts on this or anything else, keep those comments coming in. As I said, uh, email voice memos to me or the number again, 202-999-3991. To be honest, I've been a little light on voicemails recently. If you've been holding back because you thought, oh, I'm not going to bother leaving a voicemail because it probably won't get played anyways, like what I'm saying is uh, the line is short right now. So like, go ahead and get in line. Uh, there are not many people ahead of you if any, frankly. Uh, so get those messages in. We'll keep the conversation going. But that is going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations. That is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it, leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher, and by donating your accounts at donateyouraccount.com slash left. Stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music you in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every Tuesday and Friday, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a cry and shame How we get so trained We can see past our Sad stories and wonder what we're missing. We can't see past our sad stories and forget how to listen. We can't see past our sad stories and wonder.